0: Good morning, friends. Good morning. My goodness, it is a packed house. What are y'all doing here on Thanksgiving weekend? I thought half of you would still be asleep at this time, but uh, thank you so much for joining us. Seriously, uh, my name is Brent. I'm one of our pastors here, and I'm continuing a long standing tradition. You know, the Vikings, they have their flaming arrows to the boats. We have the tradition of allowing guest speakers on holiday weekends, and I'm proud to fulfill that tradition once more this weekend. So I am excited this morning, but before we get into it, just a couple of announcements uh, for us. First and foremost, as many of you know, we've been doing the Operation Christmas Child. We've been packing boxes, getting those uh, loaded up to send out to some kids so that we can bless them this Christmas so they can experience a bit of God this Christmas. And uh, I'm thrilled to share that we sent 460 or so boxes out this year which is phenomenal can we just celebrate that this morning we are so blessed to have all of you uh, help with an effort like that and and it pleases our father his heart is is radiating with joy at seeing that happen and i think the cool thing this year is is i heard we gave out less boxes than that which means some of you uh, went out and bought boxes extra ones to fill up which is just phenomenal it's it's fantastic so we love Celebrating that every year. Uh, A few things to to put on the radar coming up. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, tomorrow evening is our Band of Brothers, our men's monthly dinner. i got to yell, there we go. Guys, get fired up. Band of Brothers is awesome. It's a chance to, to eat some food together. There's no better way to bond for guys than over some food right? I mean, there just isn't. So we get to get, come together, eat some food, hang out. Uh, it, it's a great chance to connect. You will meet some guys that you've never met before. Uh, most of them are pretty interesting. I can't vouch for Pastor Dave, but you know, he's, he's pretty cool too, I guess, if, if you like fishing and stuff. But it's going to be phenomenal. We would invite all of you to come out to, to Band of Brothers tomorrow night at 6.30, and that'll be here in the sanctuary. And likewise, ladies, uh, similarly, the following Monday, that'll be December 4th uh, at 6.30 here in the sanctuary, is our women's monthly dinner. And I'm sure you guys are much more civilized than all of us dudes, but also just a phenomenal place to connect, to invite some friends, to enjoy uh, a meal and hanging out together. So we would love to invite you to check that out as well. That's happening next Monday, the 4th at 6.30 p.m. here in the sanctuary. And then we also have our gingerbread bash coming up this Friday, the first. The gingerbread bash, fantastic, fun time. Invite some friends, invite some family, bring the kids. As you can see from the picture, there will be some phenomenal gingerbread creations. Now, I don't know about you, I grew up making gingerbread houses uh, all the time, but mine never looked like that. Mine usually were just gingerbread and frosting because I'm like, it's such a waste to decorate it with these delicious candies. So I would eat them. Um, I would eat them throughout the process of building it and I'd be like, who cares about the house? I'm here for the sweets. But as you can see with our gingerbread bash, it's a great creative time to come together, make some fun stuff and celebrate the holiday season. Man, I love Thanksgiving. I love eating a, a variety of meats. I love eating all sorts of delicious sides. Uh, Mashed potatoes are the greatest invention for holding other foods. Uh, It's like a plate on top of your plate. It's phenomenal. I love mashed potatoes. I love Thanksgiving. But now that Thanksgiving is over and it can't hear me, I'm really way more excited about Christmas. It's like Christmas is just, man, now that Thanksgiving is done, I can actually relax and think fully into Christmas. I feel like I'm in the ending scene of a Hallmark movie here on the stage where I realize that my lawyer life in the big city is really not what I was after. And the quirky girl from my hometown is really what life is all about. And I'm on the park bench and I'm coming to that realization. I love it. I'm in the spirit of Christmas today. Man, I cannot wait. And, and it's Tis the season. We sang our first Christmas song with the worship team this morning. So good. But this is Thanksgiving weekend. So a a Thanksgiving message is sort of in order. And uh, we'll get to dive into that a little bit. Now, I don't know about you. Everybody has their own traditions around the holidays, right? And I may get some flack for this. And I'm prepared for that. I am. But uh, there is a much divisive dish that comes up around Thanksgiving. By the way, I don't know if you all have seen this mac and cheese trend that's been going on lately. I don't know what's up with that, but mac and cheese can just stand in line. It does not belong at Thanksgiving. It never did. The pilgrims didn't eat it, so I don't wanna eat it. Um, But the one I'm referring to is green bean casserole. Can I get a show of hands? Who's a green bean casserole person in the house? We got some of you, get out. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Um, I did not grow up eating green bean casserole. Uh, I did not, our family didn't make it until I was a a teenager. I did not realize it was a food that existed because I ignored green beans. Um, I ignored them because they were not deserving of my attention. They're my least favorite bean by far, uh, a long shot. So green bean casserole, I was rudely awakened to this when I got married because when you get married, cultures and traditions clash. And so I was introduced to the fact that Many people are very fond of green bean casserole, as we've evidenced this morning. Uh, I can't stand it. My wife loves it, her family loves it. I just can't get behind green bean casserole, and I'm sorry, but not really, because um, it's not good, it's not good. It's just It just takes away space on the plate for mashed potatoes to go, that's all I'm saying. Look, that's all I'm saying. But we all have our traditions, right? Whether it's different foods that we eat, and, and many of us probably share this same tradition as, as a kid growing up, we would sit around the table And before we would eat, we would always go around and my parents would say, hey, let's all name one thing that we're thankful for, right? Let's name one thing that we are thankful for this Thanksgiving. And you know, it's like, it's not that hard to come up with something if you really are forced on the spot to think about it. It's like, well, I'm thankful that we have leftovers coming tomorrow or I'm thankful that I didn't get grounded this week or I'm thankful, and you can like get passive aggressive with it. It's like, I'm thankful that my sister finally realized that, you know, she wasn't supposed to do this anymore or whatever and grew up a little bit or whatever. Like, you know, we can find something to be thankful about. But the truth is that it isn't always easy to be thankful. As we're burdened by stress, by loss, really any struggle, we can lose sight of those things. And we can become more focused on getting out of what we're in the midst of rather than giving thanks. And it's important no matter what circumstances we're in to practice Thanksgiving because keeping our minds focused on the imminent good instead of just the immediate bad helps determine our trajectory going forward, helps direct us, and helps us to make it through tough times with an unwavering faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We can spend so much of our time looking for worldly things here that we can be grateful for, right? Thinking, racking our brains, trying to get stuff to be grateful for. But this morning, God wants to encourage us to seek him instead. And to be reminded that what he has for us, what he's given to us, is far more worthy of our excitement and gratitude than anything we might come up with. And as we seek him and continue to grow closer to our father, the goodness of his works and his promises becomes more and more apparent to us the more we understand about him. You see, the more we grow to understand something, the more we can accurately assess its value. Uh, You may be in the same boat as me. I don't know that much about cars. Right? I know a few basic things. In spite of my dad's best efforts teaching me as a kid, right, I know how to change oil, I know how to change a tire, all that stuff, but I never really learned that much about cars. I'm not very mechanically inclined in that way. So every time I've purchased a car, I don't really know what to look for, so I've always called my dad or I've had him go look at the car with me. Right? Uh, maybe you've got someone on speed dial that's your special. Buying a car, I know i got to call this person or I've got to take my car into the shop. Got to give this guy a call and say, hey, you know, what do I need to tell him is wrong so that they don't, you know, rip me off or whatever. So I would always call my dad or have him go out with me because I knew he knew what to look for. He knew how to assess the value of what was there, whether I was going to have to pay a bunch later on for something that was in the midst of failing in the engine or, or whether it was, you know, there's rust somewhere that I didn't know where to look, right? Or if I was getting a lemon, if I was getting ripped off, he knew because he understood how to value these things. So I would always, I would always call him, because I didn't get it. And you know, maybe you've seen clips from shows like the Antiques Roadshow. I love watching clips of, of people. They bring their stuff, and they're like, this was in my attic for 8,000 you know, years, and it's dusty, and I've never seen it before, but I want to know how much it's worth. And they're like, that's worth $50 billion. Uh, and they're blown away. They're like, What? So I love watching shows like that because I I love seeing people recognize, like, oh, my gosh, I didn't know I had this. And uh, while perusing around, I came across a few record-breaking antiques that have been sold at some of these auctions. So the the first one here is, well, it's a rug. It's a rug. It looks, it's a really special rug. Can you tell? I can't. (laughs) It just looks like a rug to me. But this is a Persian rug. It sold at an auction in 2013 for nearly $34 million. $34 million. I'm hearing the explanations from all of you. That's exactly where I was when I read this for the first time. I don't know about you. I go through Home Depot, and I see the big rack of hanging rugs that they've got, and I look at the prices. And I'm like, hmm, it's a little rich for my blood. <laughs> $34 million, That's a lot of rug. But, but you don't understand. I didn't get it. Now I understand. I know. But this was made... In the 17th century, does that do anything for you? No, probably not. What if I told you that this has 1,000 knots per square inch? Whoa, all you rug nerds out there are like, what? Your minds are blown. You're like, 1,000 knots per square inch? That's unheard of. It's impossible. I don't even know what that means. And to me, really, all that says is that it's like, it's gonna be harder to vacuum. 1,000 knots per square inch? You know how much junk's gonna get in there? No, thank you. $34 million, I'll pass. I just don't get it with the rug. I found this one. This is a book. It's not very impressive. I mean, it's got some scribbles in it. Better handwriting than me. But this is, it just looks like an old book to me. I didn't really understand. looked into it. Apparently, somebody paid $30 million for the book. In 1994, at Christie's in New York. Now, what do you have to understand about this book? It's called The Codex Lester. And it is a collection of Leonardo da Vinci's drawings that was owned by the Earl of Leicester in 1719. Okay, now the pieces are starting to come together. I understand it's a textbook. That's why it's so expensive, right? (laughs) I I get it now. Textbooks are outrageous. So $30 million, pretty reasonable. Um, I I get it. That makes a little bit more sense. But to me, it still just kind of looks like a book with some scribblings. You know, Leonardo da Vinci is a very uh, prominent historical figure, so I'm sure many people recognize that this is this is more than just a book it's leonardo da vinci's book so that makes it special to somebody all right this last one certainly not the least though this beautiful vase this was created during the qing dynasty in 18th century china this sold at bainbridge auction house in 2010 for 80 million (laughs) dollars 80 million dollars for a vase. But I mean it's beautiful the craftsmanship like you can kind of understand like where it comes from, right? Where the price comes from, right? Well, I tricked you. This is the real Qing Dynasty vase. That's the one that sold for 80 million. The first one I found on eBay for 25 bucks. <laughs> 25 bucks, and you can have a vase that's almost as nice as this 80 million dollar vase from the Qing Dynasty. I don't know where mine was made or what century, but I'll tell you what, it'll hold flowers just as well as this one will or whatever it is you do with vases. I don't even know. I'm not sure, but eBay has got the vase deals just so you guys know a little tip for you. That's a freebie, but these things are are insane prices, right? We just don't get it. We don't It's hard to understand why someone would pay that much money for these things, but joking aside, every single one of these items are incredibly valuable because they're special, they hold some sort of significance, and they cannot be found anywhere else, right? They're unique. You can't just get this same rug. You're only going to get 950 knots per square inch, right? It just doesn't quite mean as much. And the people who bought them knew that, right? They saw and understood the significance, the value in them, because they know their stuff, right? In the same way, our perspective changes when we start to understand God's heart for us more and more and we start to see that what he offers us is eternal and that the value behind it is immeasurable because we cannot find it anywhere else. We cannot get it anywhere else no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we look. It can only come from our Father. Uh, a more personal example, right, this watch that I'm wearing. So it's a pretty nice watch I collect watches as a hobby, um, not insanely, but I, I have acquired a few. But this one was given to me by my grandpa uh, before he passed away, and it's a it's a pretty nice watch. Like most heirlooms, he bought it in way back when, when watches were you know a nickel, and uh, and so it's increased in value a lot since he had it, and it's actually worth a decent chunk of change now. Enough that it would be pretty tempting for most people to probably be like, oh, just sell it for some money, right? Um, it's not, certainly not nothing, but I would never, ever sell this watch. I, I've had a few people offer to, to buy it, and no amount of money would get me to part with this watch, because that's not where the value comes from. I loved going to my grandpa's house as a kid. He always had so many fun stories. He was always tinkering with stuff. He had a whole shop uh, that he would make, like, little model train villages, in and stuff like that. He was always working with his hands. He was always working on, you know, model airplanes and all that stuff. And he always had the coolest stories. Um, I remember uh, one year he served in the, in the Korean War, I believe, and, and he was a, a um, paratrooper, right? So airborne. And he had a dog named Rebel. And he tells a story. He, would, uh, he took Rebel with them on their practice jumps. And you think, well, how does that work? Well, they made a parachute for Rebel, uh, for the dog. And so they would, he would train the dog. They'd drive in the pickup truck, and he'd say, Reb, go. And the dog would jump out of the back of the truck. And he did that long enough, and finally the dog understood. Reb, go means jump. And so then they took him up in the plane first time for a practice, practice run. Slide open the side of the plane, winds whipping around. My grandpa goes, Reb, go. The dog just jumps without thinking twice. Jumps. Parachute opens. Everything's fine. They go down. They had to drag the dog. It took like three or four guys, my grandpa said, to drag Reb back onto the plane to go back to where they needed to go. (laughs) That dog was like, "Uh uh-uh. You tricked, fool me once. Fool me once, shame on on me, right? Um, Or fool me once, shame on you. So that dog understood quickly that Reb go, nah, Reb no go. (laughs) Reb no go. And you know, my grandpa was full of stories like that. And and when I look at this watch they gave me, right, that's the value in it, is is my grandpa, his stories. There's a ton of little nicks on it. It's all beat up. You know, it's not in great shape. But that's because my grandpa wore it all the time. He was working on model trains, banging his watch on stuff. That's all from my grandpa that's on there. That's where the value is because of who it comes from. Because of my grandpa, that connection that I have with him. I would, not, I would not have changed it for anything else. I would, in fact, trade all of my other watches in exchange for this one if I had to. And Jesus shares this same idea with us in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, verse 44 says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. You see, the man knew something that nobody else did. He knew that there was treasure hidden in the field. He said, this is way more valuable than what I have, right? Imagine if a house popped up in the Enumclaw area on a bunch of property for 50 grand. Would you not scrape together 50 grand using whatever method you could to buy it? I mean, let's say 2,500 square foot, beautiful house, ridiculous price. The value you can understand is so much better. And this man, in the same way, he's seeing that this is worth discarding everything else that I have for because this treasure is so much more valuable. So much more valuable. The man knew what was waiting for him in the field was worth exchanging everything else. And God desperately wants us to grasp that the same is true for his reward, for his gift that he offers to you and I, for his plans to bless us and to bring us joy. Now, I'm sure I don't need to tell you that it isn't always easy to seek God in this way, it isn't always easy to practice Thanksgiving, right? To trust in that promise of an eternal reward. It gets difficult. Stuff gets in the way. Life gets in the way. Um, earlier this year, Heather and I were thrilled to find out that we were expecting our first child. We were expecting our first child. We were so excited. We started researching everything. Like, we're, we're new at this. We're first timers. We're, we're looking into how ridiculously expensive everything baby is. It's like, Every baby product is the most expensive thing ever. It's like, what? This is a piece of cloth that's just shaped slightly different. How is this $400? I don't get it. And then everywhere, there's like, you've got to attach these wires to your baby at night so that you can tell if they're going to be okay or not. It's like, the amount of information was crazy. We were just overwhelmed and so excited. We had added, adding stuff to our Amazon card, planning. We had a little chalkboard. We wrote baby names on, you know, if it was a boy, if it's a girl. But a couple months in, uh, we ended up miscarrying. We ended up miscarrying. And we were devastated. I mean, it hit us hard. Um, you know, all of our excitement, all that first-time parenting anticipation, all that planning, uh, just pff, gone. Evaporated in an instant. And we didn't really know what to do. You know, we didn't, um, we didn't know And we were talking. It's like, I don't. Can we go through this again? Do we try again? Are we strong enough to handle that? We didn't know what to do. We both knew, in our minds, right, and in our hearts, that God had a plan to bless us. We knew that He cares so much for us. But I got to tell you, right after that happened, it was so difficult to maintain that mindset. So difficult to stay in that place. It's devastating. To actively seek Him out in the midst of our pain and of our hurt. And ultimately, I had to ask myself the question, do I want God more than I want a kid? Do I want God more than I want a child? And the truth is that every single one of us has stories like that. You might be in the middle of a story like that right now. Every single one of us, we struggle in this way, right? Sometimes we just don't know what to do. Hopeless, it's hard. And the truth is, right, I don't know exactly what God has in store for us. Heather and I still don't know exactly what what the plan looks like completely, right? Um, That's for God to know. But what I do know is this. We know that he will turn our mourning to dancing someday. We've seen it happen before in our lives. We've seen his promises play out. We've seen how he's blessed us, and we know we're going to see it again. And, you know, it doesn't mean that everything's all better now. It doesn't mean that everything's all fixed. As much as we might wish, it just does not work that way. But I was powerfully comforted, both of us were, with the reminder that God was not above our grief in that moment. He was in the midst of our grief with us. He was in the middle of our sadness, of our pain, of our struggle. And I understand now more than ever the pain that God felt when Jesus died on that cross for our sake, when that gift of salvation that's offered to us was realized through Jesus' sacrifice. Rather than retreat from him, our pain can and should push us closer to God, and into a greater understanding of his heart. And with that, even in the midst of struggle comes a profound comfort and joy. I, I got to tell you that in spite of everything that we've been through, um, Heather and I have experienced a closeness that we never thought was possible before this, uh, primarily to each other initially, right? We, we've grown closer together than we ever thought possible in the midst of the struggle. But also we've grown closer to God than we ever thought was possible in the midst of this. There's been so much joy in discovering the rejuvenation, the reconciliation, the blessing that God has for us, the love that he has for us in the midst of all of this. That restoration is there and he offers that same promise of restoration to every single one of us. Our reliance on God in the middle of our struggles also sends a strong message to the people around us. There's a joy in that testimony. Maybe you've experienced this before, but one of the aspects of our testimony that can be the most powerful is our ability to witness to those who are currently struggling with the same thing that we've struggled with, right? There's this sense of of understanding. You know, as a kid, I remember anything that I would uh, go through that was a tough time, I always felt better having someone around that, that had experienced it before. You know, there were various medical incidents, things like that, that my parents were like, hey, you know, don't relax. It's okay. I've been through this, so I know it's going to be okay. And we know that, that when we can share that, there's so much joy that happens in those moments when, when God can be glorified in the midst of our struggle Someone who's been redeemed out of a life of addiction can more powerfully relate their journey to someone caught up in addiction, so on and so forth. And in much in the same way, we can relate to Jesus, right? We can relate to our Savior when we witness his temptation. that He was tempted in every way, yet remained without sin, did not give in to those temptations. We read in, in Luke chapter four, verses five through eight, says this, the devil led him, that's Jesus, up to a high place. And showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. It will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And we can see here that just like the man with the field, the treasure in the field, Jesus knows, nah, not gonna fall for this. He knows the value of what his father's promised and he's willing to sell the rest of the world away in order to retain that, in order to keep that. He sold the world away. When we don't fully grasp what God is offering to us, it's much harder to make that decision. But Jesus knew that what God had for him was far more joyful and precious than even the best that the world could offer. He was offered everything, right? I mean, how many of us would be tempted to think, oh gosh, I mean, if I had the whole world at my fingertips, surely there would not be a day that went by that I was not grateful, you know? And how wrong we are, because we can achieve and achieve and achieve, but it never stays. It's not the same. And you and I are faced with that same choice, choosing. What do I, I want to value? What do I want to seek? And it's not a choice that we make once, right? It's not something you say, all right, I'm going to buy this field. And then it's on autopilot from here, right? No, it's not a choice we make one time. It's a choice. It's a daily choice that we get up. We say, what am I going to value today? What am I going to seek today? It's a choice offered to all of us. But here's the best part about the gift, about the treasure that our father offers to us. It's free. It's free. Think about how many times you and I have spent uh, an inordinate amount of time or effort or energy trying to get something, trying to achieve something, trying to make it somewhere, right? And then we think, oh, if I can only make X amount more money in my job, if only I can get this promotion, if only I can get to this place in my relationship with my family or, or this person or that person, if only I can have a kid, then I'll be grateful. Then I'll be happy. I just want a baby and then I'll be happy. Man, it's so tempting to think that way. But the reality is that the effort we spend achieving these things, it's not the same. It's not the same with God's gift. We're taught from a young age that checking off a list is the best way to make it. Finally have all the things in life we will truly be grateful for. But the reality of our father is that the treasure he has for us, the one that puts all of our worldly achievements to shame, is offered to us through Jesus' payment. We only need to accept it from him. There's no lists. There's no climbing a ladder. There's just the recognition that he wants us and thought us worth saving, even at such a high price. When we recognize that, that that's his heart for us, that's when we find a renewed joy in seeking him. When We make that realization. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me, And find me when you seek me with all your heart. We don't have to satisfy some sort of pre faith checklist, right? We don't have to say, okay, now I'm ready to seek God, right? We don't have to grab a lottery ticket and hope that our number's called so that we can go for it. We don't have to, uh, many of us maybe did this on uh, uh, Friday uh, morning early, but we don't have to stand in line in front of heaven for five hours. Hoping that they still have a good deal on salvation when we get through the door, right? That all the salvations aren't taken. We don't have to do that. If we want it, it's offered. We only need to accept it and allow Him to begin changing our lives. So, what does it look like to seek God with our hearts, to, with all of our hearts? What are some simple ways that we can practice this? Because it is something we practice, right? This isn't something that's a light bulb moment. This isn't something that's. I get it now, I, I, you know, we can begin to understand, we can have those revelations, but the reality is we need to practice this. So how can we do that? Three quick things, we're in the home stretch now. First one is this, listen to his words. John 1.1 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. If we listen and understand the word, we understand God, right? That's how it works. The more we do that, the more we begin to see who God is, we understand his heart, Jesus used his practice reading God's word to rebuke the temptation, right? The, he was offered the world. He said, no, 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 this is what is written. This is what my father says. This is what my dad says. I understand his word. I understand his heart. I understand his treasure. You know, I would, <laughs> if someone came up to me and they were like, hey, Brent, your dad just came up to me and said, oh man, I'm so excited to go to the you know, Ferrari dealership and buy this brand new car off the lot. Uh, I'd be like, okay, I don't know who you talk to, but it's not my dad, <laughs> because my whole life, my dad has hated nothing more than he has hated the idea of purchasing a new vehicle at retail value. He, but all growing up, he said, uh, now I want to say this just so I don't offend anybody. I, there are very good reasons to purchase new vehicles. I understand that, but my dad drilled into us growing up. He said, it'll lose. of its value, the instant you drive it off the lot, they never have, you know, you're gonna have problems, they're expensive to fix, dealerships will, they'll take you in and they'll just steal all your money, they'll shake you down for your wallet, it's not worth it. So growing up, I heard this constantly and constantly, I kept hearing what my dad was saying about this. So the instant someone comes up to me and says something otherwise, like, "Uh, no, I've been listening to my dad for years, decades even at this point, I know him better than that. I understand where my dad is on this. And in the same way, the more that we listen to God's word, that we get in, in his word, right? The more we begin to understand his heart, the more we can start doing things like that. We start saying, no, you know what? This is what my dad says. I'm not gonna listen to this. I don't believe this. Listen to his words. Second one is this. Look for what he sees. Look for what he sees. First Samuel chapter uh, 16, verse seven, chapter 16, verse seven says this. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. What does that tell us? It tells us that God sees things differently than, than we see things, right? We're always sort of, uh, we, we start with the outside right we start with our point of view we see things the way that we've been trained That the world has taught us to see things we look at the outside right we make judgments about things that god doesn't do god sees things differently than we do so we need to to look for what he sees uh, similarly you know I, I mentioned my dad tried his best Teach me to be mechanically inclined when it comes to cars. We had a shop on our property and every so often I would get ripped away from whatever fun activity I thought was more important uh, to go, you're going to go help dad in the shop, fine, you know, we'll go work on this car, whatever. I was not very appreciative of it. But we would go out to the shop and I would see my dad, we'd, we'd have some project for the day, right? Like, we're going to take this out of here, the starter out, and we're going to replace it with a new starter. He needs a new starter. And... I'm like, Dad, all these old cars that you keep telling me are better than the new ones, I see them broken a lot more <laughs> than the new ones, right? Um, at one point, he had like eight Dodge Durangos on our property that he was like making a giant Franken Durango with. I don't know. Um, <laughs> he was always into car stuff. But we'd be out there, and I'd see my dad looking around the engine compartment, right? He'd, be, he'd spend some time. Before we'd like dive in and start taking stuff apart, he'd just look. He'd be looking around. He'd be assessing the situation. And, and after a while, I began to sort of like, what are you looking for? Like, what are, what are you doing? What are you looking to find? What are you hoping to see? And he would explain, right? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm looking to see how this is attached so that I know if we take this out, we can get it back on, right? With the same tools. I don't need an extra tool. Or, or I'm looking to see what this fluid level is so that I know we don't have to replace this. You know, I would begin to ask him, what are you looking to see in here? And, and after enough time of doing that, uh, first and foremost, I began to understand a little bit more about, he th- about how he thought, his thought process. Begin to understand more about him through asking these questions. What, what are you seeing? I want to I know what you're looking for. But the second thing is that I began to start looking for those things myself, right? I began to start naturally just like, oh, let's see if we got anything here, right? It started to, I started to learn to look for those things that he was teaching me. And in the same way, right, that's what God offers, right? We, when we ask God, like, God, what are you looking for? God, I want to see what you see. When we do that, when we start to, to recognize what God's looking for, what he's looking to see, we start to understand more about our Father. We start to understand more about his heart. And we begin to start looking for those things ourselves, right? We begin to start growing into that place where, where we're starting to see first what God sees and then only secondary what the world wants us to see. Look for what he sees understand so much about our father that way and last one is go to him for rest go to him for rest now you might be like me i have a tendency to uh, develop uh uh hobbies i would call them hobbies um, in fact i think my favorite hobby is finding new hobbies um i am a serial hobbyist i would get into something i'll buy a, a blender and i'm like i'm gonna make smoothies now and i'm gonna be a smoothie guy I'm the smoothie guy, so I'll buy a cool blender that's really fancy, and I'll get fruit, and I will make so many smoothies for two weeks, and that blender will go in the cupboard, and it will never get used again. That's what I do, Serial hobbyist. I call them hobbies, but really what I do is I, I tend to develop these coping strategies for, for trying to get rest, for trying to escape, right? And here's the problem. You know, Our, our, our hobbies, our passions, those are gifted to us by God. Those are things that God created us to enjoy, to find joy in doing. But when we use them to, to cope, right? It's sort of a negative connotation. They can be used negatively. And you know what I mean by that? Sometimes my wife will, she's learned to ask me a very important question. I will be hanging out. It'll be the weekend or something. She can tell I'm stressed and, and I'll say, hey, I'm gonna go play video games or watch this show or I'm gonna go take apart this thing or whatever. Um, and she'll say, there to have fun, or are you going in there to escape? Are you going in there to have fun, or are you going in there to escape? And I hate that question. I'll be like, it's none of your business. I'm just going to do it, right? (laughs) What do you mean? I'm not escaping anything. I'm just going to have fun. Don't judge me. Um, I'll get defensive about it, right? Because, and the reason is because I know that's an important question that I need to ask myself, right? Am I doing this to to just go have fun, to experience this joy, or am I going to escape? Because here's the reality of escaping, you know, when we go try to find rest by by escapism, diving into a hobby or a, a, an addiction or any other thing that can sort of distract us. It's not a, a solution. you know. It's, it's something that can only delay the inevitable. When we cope and escape and distract ourselves, for me at least what usually happens is that the instant that activity is done, everything comes flooding back in, usually stronger than before. The stress, the pain. all comes back in because I'm not fixing anything I'm not resting I'm escaping but the rest that we find in God is totally different it doesn't run out it doesn't delay the inevitable listen to what it says in Psalm 9 verses 9 through 10 it says the Lord is a refuge for the oppressed a stronghold in times of trouble those who know your name trust in you for you Lord have never forsaken those who seek you Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. A stronghold is not somewhere that you retreat to and then you say, ah, we've used up our time on the stronghold meter. We gotta go back out and face the music again. No, 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 no. A stronghold is where you go to fortify. A stronghold is a place that you can rest and say, we are safer here. We are safe here because we are protected. And when we go to God for a rest, what we're getting is that protection from him, right? He comes into the midst of our struggle and he offers a rest that comes from, from trusting that his plan is still in action. It's still working, right? You don't need to fear that. You don't need to fear that. You know, sometimes I, I think it's hard to be grateful for your parents while you're still a kid. <laughs> I think about my childhood and all of the, the rules. I was homeschooled. Um, so we had some pretty strict rules compared to some of the other kids that I knew. Uh, I realize this is probably generationally very different now, but I didn't get my first phone until I was like 14. Um, I know some of you guys probably didn't even get a phone until you were an adult. But you know, kids nowadays are getting phones a lot younger. And even at that time, 14 was a little old. I was like, man, I don't want a phone. I want a phone so bad, sorry. I want a phone so bad. All my friends have phones. All the dumb rules, all the Saturdays, spent getting away from whatever I thought I wanted to do and going out and helping dad do chores outside. All of those things that my parents did that I thought were antagonistic as a kid. I'm like, they're, they're the evil antagonist trying to get in the way of my fun. I thought 10 year old me or 12 year old me knew what I needed to have a good, happy life. I'm like, I'm 12 years old, I'm a, basically an adult. I understand what I need to be successful and happy. And the answer is lots of Legos, obviously. So like, I thought I had it all figured out, but I didn't understand them. I didn't understand them. And I can see now that all of that was, was far more precious, more valuable than at the time that I thought. And it's because I understand their hearts so much better now. I understand their hearts for me and I recognize the value of what they were offering. And in the same way, when we seek to understand God's heart, our father's heart for us, and the gift that he offers to us, it radically changes how we view our salvation and allows us to weather the storms of this world with a gratitude that reflects the goodness of our father and his gift. And you know, if you've never received this gift before, if you're hearing about this for the first time, or maybe you've heard, but you just haven't made that choice, it's offered to you. There's no fancy lighting scheme needed, no ceremony It's between you and Jesus. Jesus is offering a gift to you. All you need to do is Allow him to start changing your heart. Ask him into your life. It's just like we sang this morning. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And life is worth the living just because he lives. We can rest in our father and his gift. And the gratitude will come from that when we understand the value. Would you pray with me? God, we we lift you up. We glorify you, Father, in this place. We thank you so much for the gift that you've given to us, your own son, God. Jesus, you, you gave it all so that we could have this eternity, this joy, this boundless treasure. God, help us to understand you better so that we can see how much value that holds. It's immeasurable. Lord, help us to understand you better. Help us to seek you. God, help us seek you by listening to your words. Lord, lay your words on our hearts in this place. God, ignite in us a passion for absorbing your words so that we can understand who you are better, so we can come across every situation and say, no, 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 I know my father. God, we know you. We wanna get to that place. We wanna strive for that. We wanna seek that. Lord, help us to, to seek you in looking for what you see. Help us to ask you to to help us see with your eyes, God. What are you looking for? What do you see when you look at me? God, what do you value? You value me, God. I can't understand it, but you do. Help Help me to see what you see. Lord, and help us to seek you by finding our rest in you, God. Help us to retreat to that fortress that is your embrace, God, your passion, your joy, your safety, your power. We want to rest in that, God. We want to find true rest in knowing that our Father can handle anything, that our Father can can handle anything, and that he's right here in the middle of it with us. We can take shelter in that, Lord. Help us to retreat to that place. Above all else, God, we thank you again just for your great love, your boundless love, this gift that you've offered to us, Jesus. We thank you for it. And we ask you that that invade our hearts and help us to draw us closer to you, Lord, in this place. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys, thank you so much for coming this morning. Go sleep off the rest of the tryptophan out of your system, and we will see you all next week.